Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. We are so excited to have Carolyn Custis James back. We gave her bio on the first episode, and we're going to continue the conversation. I guess we're not going to finish it. We're going to continue the conversation that we started last time. So thanks, Carolyn, for coming back with us. Thank you. I enjoy your interaction. You note in your book, Half the Church, that there are problems with denying women to be in leadership in the local church. And you mentioned two in particular. You say, number one, it impacts the message that the church is embracing and exporting for women. And secondly, you say it causes women whose kingdom efforts are indispensable in many places to pull back and the question they're calling as leaders. Can yeah. you speak to that a little bit? I think we need to, th- to consider what is our mission mm. and that it's not a little mission, but we are little. You know, it's the mustard seed (laughs) mentality that we are small Mm -hmm. with respect to the mission that we are called to. And it involves everything. It doesn't just involve Sunday morning church service and who preaches. It involves 100% of our time. It involves the whole world and what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, It involves our values and what we do and how we work and the kinds of things we cultivate of God's creation as we were, it, it encompasses everything. Mm. And so to say only certain people are called is to misunderstand scripture is to misgauge our mission Mm -hmm. that it, that it's enough for a few people to talk about this, that we all need to be involved in digging into scripture and understanding what God has called us to. You know, I think about Ukraine. Yeah. In Ukraine, nobody's saying, what's okay for me to do? They've got an enemy confronting them that is destructive, and it's all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. And people who have never been engaged in warfare are doing whatever they can to help this cause. Every single one of them, even the women who are getting the some of the elderly and their children out of the country, you know, the, the kinds of challenges that they were embracing mm. as Azers, <laughs> they're Azers. And, you know, I just think our mission is that desperate and that important and it's all hands on deck. How yeah. dare we say you do too much? You can't do so much. You know? Yeah. Well, it also impacts the fact that if it's only the men doing these things, they're not competent enough to do it all well themselves. I mean, this is the message going back to first Corinthians. This is the message of first Corinthians 12. We're all members of one body. And that one yeah. body functions only when all the members function. The hand can't say to the, to the foot, hey, I don't need you. The ear can't say to the eye, I, I don't need you. No, we need, we need everybody for the body of Christ to function well. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it's really surprising how important that is. I mean, my father grew up in a very male leadership, male pastor, males in seminary world. And when he read, <laughs> he read a couple of my books and he said, you see things I don't see. Oh, wonderful. That's exciting. And I said, yeah. And I build on what he taught me, you know, I, he sees things I don't see. Yeah, exactly. So it's, this is not a competition and it's not about the bill of rights or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's about 
our calling as God's Mm -hmm. image bearers. And we can't afford to spare anybody. When we came back to the States and my husband was, I mean, I've never left seminary. (laughs) He's a a professor, president of seminaries, and I, which has been wonderful for me Mm because I've just continued my seminary education. And, but um, when I started working with women, I started seeing how they were being treated. And sometimes it was the whole sexual abuse. Me too, church too stuff, which is, mm. which is huge on yeah. my radar. Okay, but it yeah. was also how women, they would get a seminary education and they couldn't get a job or they got, they get a job and they'd be mistreated. Mm-hmm. And I, I would get as many phone calls from complementarian women as I got from egalitarian women, because mm. a lot of egalitarian um, camps are checking a box, but it doesn't change how they work. Mm. And Egalitarian, even, just so everyone knows, means that the idea that man and female are equal within the leadership hierarchy of the church. Complementarian is that male is superior and the leader in the church and that women are, have a, I wouldn't say superior and inferior, but women are not allowed to be pastors in churches and the various stages of that. That men lead and women follow yeah, is the complementarian yeah, exactly. view and that women are not allowed to be pastors right yeah so go ahead but you find it i mean the the church two scandals have happened in both Mm. contexts so Mm -hmm. there's something that's not getting changed when when people embrace that viewpoint and i get the phone calls from ordained Mm. women well i i started an an organization for women in women in ministry leadership or who are preparing for it and i said the debates off the table. We've got to talk about our work. Mm. And we did. And it was amazing. I did it from 2004 to 2011. Wow. Wow. And they were forging friendships and helping each other. And it didn't matter which side you fell on. We needed to help each other. It was wonderful. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful. You know, I just, I would think, this woman needs to talk to that woman because she's already done a lot of what this one is inventing over here. We, I mean, we didn't have any way of coming together like that. And it was mm. amazing. And I couldn't have done it with, you know, Judy Douglas of Campus Crusade really be, became the engine behind enabling us to help this. She was co-doing it with me, but um, it was, it was incredible. It was incredible. And our mm. final conference I invited Cheryl Wujan to come and speak. Okay. Who's the, the author of Half the Sky. Yeah. Because yeah. I just felt like we're not talking about this and we need to know. Interesting. We need to know. You note now in your book, Half the Church, that there's reasons for positivity and measures for optimism. I mean, let me read a passage from page 179, 180. It says, quote, never before in the history of the world, have so many women and cultures around the world been so blessed with civil and legal rights and protections, higher education, career opportunities, comfortable homes filled with modern conveniences, unprecedented wealth and earning power, and easy access to communication systems and travel? So my question is, are you sure that this optimism you know, is, is truly warranted? Yes. Okay. <laughs> good. In a word, but I, th- I think as Christians... 
you know, there's the mentality that Christianity is going to rescue us out of this world. Right. Exactly. Yes. And I'm understanding this in a different way that we are called to this world. And in the, in the gospels, Jesus talks about justice and, and mercy and that these are things we're called to. And, you know, people think that's about being woke, but okay. Then Jesus is woke. (laughs) (laughs) What does Jesus want his world to be like? And from the beginning, his image bearers were to be agents of that. And we still have that calling and it, and it means everything we do is important and that God is behind it, that he is at work in the world today and that he is, he's going to work through his image bearers. That's exactly right. All the things people are doing in the world to help other people, to make things better, to find cures for different problems, to find ways of pulling people out of human trafficking. All of that is an image bearer calling. And and we need to to name it for what it is, Mm -hmm. but the church should be at the forefront of this. And that's what horrified me when I learned about human trafficking and Mm. And I'm thinking, where are we? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. in the Me Too Church Two crisis, where are we? Right. Well, we're part of the problem. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, so much. It just lit a fire under me, and I don't call me to sit down and watch. <laughs> right, right. I have responsibility before God. Yes. yes. And to do my part. And it's not just calling people to ministry, although we need people called to ministry. It's also about being called to all kinds of other things, education, medical health, um, science, and everything. Yeah, being a custodian, being a construction worker, being a servant, a good neighbor. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I'm doing a study on the book of Revelation. I'm writing a commentary on the book of Revelation right now. And so if you're listening I encourage you to jump onto our, my YouTube page, Rob Downerful YouTube page, where the Zoom studies of the book of Revelation are being posted. And my argument is that in the book of Revelation, God rescues his creation and redeems the nations through the sacrificial witness of God's people. Mm-hmm. And we act like Jesus and as loving, faithful, sacrificial servants, not as boisterous or arrogant, or, but by sacrificing like Jesus did, that's how the nations are, are redeemed. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just, so yes, we should be, we should, we have every reason to be optimistic and also to pursue that. Hmm. I mean, sometimes the church is a pretty pessimistic place to be in, you know, every, everybody's horrible and going to hell. And instead of saying, we are messengers of great good news. Yeah, of the good of the, news, yeah, right? Of the, of the kingdom of yeah. God. I mean, all through the New Testament, it's good news. <laughs> we have good news, you know, and, and it's, we've got this thing going where it's like, well, first the bad news, and then we'll give you the good news. But well, that's because keep... that's the gospel that we presented, right? Yeah. You're a sinner in need of a savior. You have to bring yeah. in Jesus. And, and not that you are beloved. Yes. 
and that God is not giving up on us. He's not doing that. Yes. I mean, it's exciting. And I, yes, I think we should be optimistic. And I have to fight for that sometimes because I live in the same fallen world everybody else lives in. Right. And yes. I wake up sometimes thinking it's just too much. <laughs> uh, so you've written you know? another book called Maelstrom that we mentioned at the beginning of, of our introduction there. And first off, tell us what a maelstrom is. Obviously, you spell it differently and why you spell it differently. And then tell us about how that book fits into this conversation, because it's not just about women. It's about all of God's people. Right, right. It's about the blessed alliance. Yeah. It's both. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so when I was doing all my research about women in the Bible, and I I, se- I kept seeing men that we don't talk so much about, or if we talk about them, we sort of belittled them. Mm. The story of Judah in Genesis is sort of an irritating interruption into the drama of Joseph. And, you know, pastors will skip it. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. They will skip it or they'll just say, I have no idea. What the, what the, Judah, Judah and Tamar story, is that what you're talking about? <laughs> yes. yes, yes. When we get to Deborah and Jael mm-hmm. and yeah. Barak, well, both camps of views of women in church beat up on Barak. They -hmm. do. And yet there he is. And I'm reading her, their stories, but I see him as joining them as fighting this battle. That was like a David and Goliath battle and wanting to know, is God in the battle? Because if he's not in the battle with us, we're, it's going to be a slaughter. Mm. And I won't, I won't lead these men into a slaughter. Mm-hmm. No general would do that. But we say, oh, he's, he's not going without Deborah. <laughs> well, he wants Deborah to put her money where her mouth is. And he finds out. He finds out that if God wants to win this battle with with a woman with no military training at all, nothing more than a tent peg, he Mm. can do that. It's a David and Goliath story. And Barak is awesome. And then you have Joseph who gets eclipsed by Mary, you know, and it just goes on and on. And we have and I but I kept seeing these men as extraordinary mm. examples of, of God's work in the hearts of men and mm. a completely different vision of manhood. And I wanted to write about them. And I just felt like they were being overlooked. You know, we'll write about Joshua and David and we'll, we'll write about Daniel in the lions, mm. you know, all these mighty men stories, but we don't, we don't see the others. Right. And um, so I wanted to write, a, I, you know, I felt like they deserve to be looked at. But what happened is I looked at their stories. It started to be about patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And what really led me to write that book was the men of ISIS at the mm-hmm. time that I wrote it were on the ISIS. We'd already had 9-11. Mm-hmm. And um, young men in in America and in European countries were being drawn to ISIS. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, some of the experts on what was happening with ISIS started saying, these young men, why are they being drawn to this? Mm. They are being drawn because they're looking for a sense of 
meaning and Mm. purpose and belonging. And I said to myself, where are we in this conversation? Why aren't we drawing them? So that's that I, you know, I just thought we got that. And then we have men who are fighting to get their establish their masculinity. And, you know, and I'm thinking, well, they have the same problem we have that, you know, they can lose their job. They can get to be divorced. They can be, um, you know, you know, yeah, yeah. they can they get into trouble. They can get sick. Yeah. Have a diagnosis. Or just never be interested in flinging a sword around or, you mm. know, shooting a gun. And um, so they have to earn their right to say they're a man. Mm-hmm. And they get they get pummeled in church. I talked to men and they mm-hmm. said, we hate Father's Day because we just get berated. Oh. And and they, these man camps that you have to go to, you know, some men are not interested in that mm-hmm. and could care less. And they're still men. And I just felt like they've got the same struggles. Mm. And um, this is masculinity is an insecure thing right. you have to earn. And in some cultures, the way you earn it is obscene. Yep. You know, some of the rights that they go through, I, you know, I wouldn't even put it in my book i was so horrified but i said it's it's torture that they put young boys through to migrate them to masculinity it's just awful and you know and then you have to maintain it and i so i started looking at the whole thing again for men and seeing that these men embodied the men i write about in that book I love these men. They are Mm. just incredible. And this is not a book that tears men apart. It's a book that shows a a brand of masculinity that reflects the gospel. Awesome. And I mean, I'll give you an example of Judah's story because we're we're thrown off the rails because the word prostitute appears in the text. This is Genesis 38, by the way, yeah. And it's also, you know, you're right in the, they've just sold Joseph into slavery. Okay. So Judah is a human trafficker. Right. Yeah. Before that, he wanted to murder his brother. And, um, and then he covers up his crime by telling his father, you know, showing this bloody coat to his father who assumes that Joseph is dead. Mm. And so it's just, you know, it's, criminal activity and then he goes into Canaan he leaves the covenant family goes into Canaan marries a Canaanite woman and begins to act like a Canaanite I mean he's just a lost cause Hmm. and um and he's angry over primogeniture he's the fourth son but the first three sons have disgraced their father Hmm. so he really thinks he's number one I I think and his father is first saying son number 11 is going to have those rights, not you. Joseph, yeah, yeah. And when he thinks Joseph is dead, then he confers all of this on Benjamin, son number 12. Yeah, yeah. So Judah is a furious, boiling furious man. Mm -hmm. And he leaves and he goes into Canaan. And um, 
you have to read the chapter to get all the pieces, but uh, the story circulates around the Leverett Law, which made when a when a man's son died without a male heir to take his place on the family tree, the widow was obligate the widow and the blood brother of the dead man were obligated to marry and produce a son to take the dead man's place on right. the family tree. Well, Judah has three sons, which means the first son's going to get twice as much as the other two because right. he's the firstborn. But he's so going to get a double share. He's going to yeah. get He's going to get half okay. and the other two right. sons will get a fourth. Yeah, when he right. dies, son number two, now the pie gets divided in three pieces because right. there are two, only two yeah, sons. Yeah. Son number two went from a fourth to two thirds. Yes. Okay. So this is about money. <laughs> yeah. Power. Okay. So he's not, he'll marry Tamar, but he will not impregnate her. And so he just makes a toy of her. Because because if he impregnated her, he would lose because her son, Tamar. Back son, would, to a fourth. Okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah, very good. Not doing it. <laughs> Talk <laughs> yeah. to my accountant and I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, God takes his life as well. And so there's just one son left. So he gets 100% now, mm. right? Gone yeah. from a fourth to a third. I mean, this yeah. Is, yeah. Hole. yeah. So Judas thinks Tamar's the problem. And so he's not going to give her to his son. Mm -hmm. And so she knows that this is not going to happen. And so she, when, after Judas' wife dies, she dresses as a, as a prostitute and right. gets in Judas' path and he falls for it, but he doesn't have, the money to pay her for her services. And so he gives her what amounts to his credit card and his passport. <laughs> and so when he learns that his daughter-in-law who belongs to him mm -hmm. is pregnant through prostitution, he orders her to be brought out and be burned mm. by a crime he's committed. Right. And so she presents the passport and the credit card. Well, by the way, her burning her would take care of the problem too, because now she goes away. Right. Yeah. Good news for him. Right. Yeah. Well, if you read the Old Testament, especially horrible things are oh, happening yeah, to women. Yes, yes. You know, yeah, yeah, it's much. just, yeah. it's awful. And, um, and so he wants mm. her to be burned and she comes out and she says, I'm pregnant by the man who owns these articles. Mm-hmm. And the translators have translated that text that Judah says, she is more righteous than I. Mm -hmm. That's not what he says. He says, she is righteous. Mm -hmm. I am not. Mm -hmm. When she gives birth, she gives birth to twins. So mm -hmm. both sons are are replaced. God has blessed her. Mm -hmm. She shows up in a blessing for the marriage of Ruth and Boaz. So mm -hmm. she's not something hidden in the closet of the Israelite people. Mm -hmm. She's, she's a, she's a heroine mm -hmm. and she rescued the family line and the Royal line gets right. rescued in this. But um, what happens next in Joseph's story ought to make us all weep. Mm -hmm. Because 
Joseph insists on seeing their youngest brother, Benjamin. And they know that this is, this will, this will kill their father if something bad happens to Benjamin. So they've never brought him with them when they've gone in the famine for food in Egypt. You have to read the story to get yeah. all the pieces. Yeah, no, it's but, great. It's great. But the, but the big part of it is that he's, Joseph knows this is his blood brother, his only mm. full blood brother. And that he's looking at Judah, the man who sold him into slavery. Mm. And he's been vindictive in his interactions with his yes. half-brothers. And so here he is. He's going to take Benjamin to be a slave. And Judas steps forward. Yep. The man who has looked in the mirror and said, I, she is righteous. I am not. Yes. And he says... The speech he makes in that encounter with Joseph, and he doesn't know he's talking to Joseph, is, is a man who has been changed from the inside out. Mm. And he's willing to sacrifice himself to be a slave in place of his father's new favorite, Benjamin. Mm. This is a changed man. This is a man who yep. has seen himself and has repented of what he has done. Mm. And totally, you know, from, I mean, it's just, it's, it's mind bending and it's a text that needs to be preached. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because in that he, way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cause he's yeah. the best example. I mean, she's really not a prostitute. She's, She's, she's faithful to the love right law. She's rescuing his yeah. family, you know. So anyway, yeah. so you have Judah and you have Barak and you have Matthew and you have mm -hmm. Jesus in there. And and you have the Apostle Paul, mm. who is is just a wreck. I say in that chapter that the gospel goes behind enemy lines. And mm. rescues some of the worst men yeah, yeah. in the Bible, you know, and they're changed. Yeah. So that the Apostle Paul is engaging in ministry with Gentile women. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, no, this isn't really happening. Yeah. You know, he's got Pharisaical blood in him where he's wanting to kill all the Christians. And now, Look at what he's right. doing. It's just, it's, it's more than a transformation. It's the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I love the men in Maelstrom and their stories need to be told. Excellent. Um, they're not, this is not a male bashing book. This is like. Male affirming. Yeah. Incredible stories. Awesome. Yeah. And the church then functions well when all the members of the body function well. And we, right. we serve and support one another and, uh, uh, excellent. Well, I can't recommend your work enough. I thank you so much for being with us. Let's finish with this last uh, question. You, know, you, you mentioned in your book, uh, Half the Church, you say, privilege and prosperity come with responsibility. Yeah. Speak to that for us as we finish up. Well, when I look at women in America, and I've talked a lot to them and you know, said, 
you know, we're not in poverty. We, we can be educated. We do have rights in terms of our culture giving us rights. And that comes with responsibility. Yeah. We can't turn a blind eye to little girls who are having their education banned right. to places in the world where if you're born female, you may not live right because your your family they don't want you you you're going to go build another man's family mm-hmm. they want they want sons and we we've, we've had lots of infanticide there was one woman who said she had buried seven daughters wow i mean it's just awful a woman told uh, an american woman went to india and she was a, she's a nurse and so she was working in the ob section and she said when a when a baby boy was born the noise of the celebration was deafening yeah, and she said yeah. when when it was a woman there was silence and they had to persuade the mother to hold the baby yeah yeah because she was going to get punished for in certain segments of that culture it's not the whole culture yeah Yeah. so because we have we had uh, neighbors who were indian and they have their firstborn was a daughter and the father was just besotted his little little girl who was brilliant and yeah so it's not that way in every 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 segment of the culture but there are still segments of these cultures where that is and sidebar here, but the church can be a prophetic witness helping the issue of, of women and gender just by advocating for equal education. I mean, a lot of these girls around the world, if they simply got education and access to education, they could have a life on their own and be independent and, and be able to thrive in business. Um, and what's exciting, back to the st- statement about optimism, is in the United States, there are more women getting college degrees graduate degrees and postgraduate degrees than men. And, and it's been that way, I think, since early 2000s. So yeah. the, we are seeing change. It's, it's coming with a cost. And hopefully we'll have some other interviews here um, continuing this particular conversation. But uh, fantastic. Thank you so much. I appreciate you going <laughs> extra time and staying with us for two episodes. This has just been such a treat and a delight for me to get to know you better. And uh, I can't recommend your stuff enough. I, and I honestly say that, and I wouldn't do that if I didn't honestly believe it. I have read your works and uh, I look forward to reading some more and it's been excellent stuff. So I hope we can keep in touch mm. in the future also. Thank you. Yeah. Thank so. you. All right. Thanks everyone. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe to and like our podcast. You can follow Rob's blog at determinedtruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com. See you next time.